namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Homage to the Buddha, the blessed, noble and fully self-enlightened one. Uh, so I just thought this evening we might approach daily life a bit in terms of um, you know, our practice. And uh, I looked up two words here in the, the great Oxford Dictionary. <laughs> the contrast between impulsive and spontaneous. It's interesting how close the definitions come. So it says, impulsive is an action done without thought. And spontaneous, spontaneity is performed or occurring as a result of a sudden impulse. (laughs) 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 Not much much difference there, is there? Inclination without premeditation of one's... uh, It's interesting that the word impulse comes from the Latin, which means driven on. But the um, spontaneous comes from the Latin, which means of one's own accord. It gives it a slightly different... But definitely, in, in our use of these two words, impulsive is seen as something not very good, and spontaneous is exactly how we want to be, you know, to live a spontaneous life. Everybody wants to be spontaneous. And uh, I think the, the added understanding of spontaneous is that, is that you're very happy. Huh? Don't you think? You know, you're spontaneous and happy, impulsive and wicked and silly, you know, reckless. So these two words are uh, very close together. And it's, um, we've just got to uh, look at these parami. So parami means the other shore. So it's translated as perfection. uh, But it just means really those virtues that take you to the other shore. And that's the Buddha's um, image for Nibbana. It's the other shore. And the sea he uses often as a, as a metaphor for the, for the journey. He talks about those who have not achieved uh, Sotapanna, the first instance, as swimming under the water. <laughs> Don't know where they're going. And the, the stream entrant, his head, their head is bobbing up and down. So they, they sort of generally know <laughs> where they're going. Oh, no, that's right. No, the stream entrant is... His head's above water. So at least he sees, or she sees, where they're going. The, uh, an- the Sakuragami, the one who is a uh, once-returner, is swimming vigorously towards the shore. And the Anagami, the non-returner, is actually standing on the shore. So they've actually, in some sense, reached the end of the path. And then, of course, there's the uh, path towards the middle of the island, and that's the attainment of full liberation. So... Uh, the idea of the other shore is, uh, is one way of the Buddha sort of pointing that these virtues are needed. And uh, if, we, if we take that trilogy of generosity, well, gratitude, gratitude actually isn't one of these uh, paramis, but generosity is, and renunciation. Um, <clears throat> when we are, when we when we're generous impulsively, when we, when we give impulsively, 
or even recklessly. Or when, when we help somebody, somebody says, you know, can we help me decorate? Say, oh, yeah, fine. And when you, when you say yes in that sort of impulsive way, uh, there's always that aftermath of, oh, God, do I really want to do that, you know? <laughs> and then you're trying to work out some way of getting out of it. And, on, and at the time when they expect you to come, you, you've mysteriously fallen ill, you know, so <laughs> and disappeared down to the beach or something. So... <laughs> Uh, those that sort of impulsive action, if we if we stop, if we if we can just stop that, and uh, it's very difficult, of course, when you're in action, when somebody comes and says, you know, can you help me? Can you do this? It's very difficult to to just stop uh, and say, um, no, I won't. But I think we can give ourselves a bit of time by saying, oh well, I'll, I'll have to look at my diary, or I'll think about it, or <laughs> just give me a moment. I've, so you have to give yourself a bit of space to um, not to fall into that sort of impulsive way of doing things. Um, and of course, when you uh, if you if you do something like that, if you you know you decide to do something impulsively, and then you you sort of sit with those feelings rather than letting them take you over, you know the feeling of self annoyance and and annoyance with the person for asking you and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> if you if you sit with those feelings, uh, you know, and you let them pass, then perhaps this, the, the underlying motivations come up, the ones that are impulsive, are driving you on. I mean, that's where the impulse is coming from. It's coming from some underlying conditioning. It may be that you're afraid to lose friendship. Uh, it may be that, um, you know, you're, it's, it's one way of, uh, of not feeling lonely, that, that you go and help somebody occasionally. I mean, there might be all sorts of reasons, murky reasons underneath, which is making us act in these impulsive ways. I mean, this is something that, you know, people like Freud understood very well. But it comes out if you give it time. This is the point. It comes out if you, if you allow the negativity that comes up to just pass away and then just see, just see what comes up. I mean, if nothing comes up, nothing comes up. But it may just, you know, something may just come up which uh, uh, manifest to you uh, what's, actually the, what's actually making you, you know, make these impulsive decisions. So, <clears throat> how do we become spontaneous? I mean, how do we uh, undermine that and become spontaneous? Well, uh, uh, the sort of underlying understanding of spontaneity is that it is virtuous. So sp absolute spontaneity won't arise until, in a sense, we're fully liberated in that sort of total way because there'll always be some murky little nasty reason for doing something which is driving us on, even unknowingly. Um, but even so, even, though, even, so, even if that's there, uh, we can still develop that virtuous habit, that virtuous conditioning, which... Uh, allows us to act spontaneously in that virtuous way, and it brings it brings more happiness than than a feeling of uh, of compulsion of being of being uh, compelled to do something. Huh? And that's where we get a bit confused because I think we think that spontaneity ought to arise spontaneously. You know, <laughs> like you wake up one morning and yeah, everything's spontaneous. You know, I just woke up and had an egg. And everything happens spontaneously, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but spontaneity only comes with practice, with actual training. And I think, uh, I think I mentioned this 
uh, one of the one of the days. Um, if we look at people like uh, concert uh, performers, you know, pianists, violinists, people like that, and, and sports people, I think that these two manifest what we what we mean by spontaneity. Uh, and we know that an awesome amount of practice goes in uh, to be able, you know, to play a piece of, of Beethoven or something, or, or even to, you know, to, to move um, with that amazing alacrity uh, that of a tennis player. I mean, the ball's moving at 100 miles an hour. And they don't, they're, not, they're not thinking about, well, should I go over there or, you know, should I hit it a backstroke? Should I spin round? What should I do? <laughs> you know, it's gone. <laughs> And this, this, of course, takes you into things like Zen, which is really high on that sort of spontaneity. And it's interesting that what uh, one of the masters of Zen, uh, Takuan, I think his name was called, uh, he talked about stopping, but not stopping in my sense. What he meant was the mind sticking, you see. So as soon as the mind sticks on something, it sort of loses that spontaneity, that sticking, you see. So if a sportsman... Uh, just stops even for that moment of doubt of, of wondering you know what to do that's it they've lost it it's only a moment if, if a performer just for one moment uh, loses confidence or, or or feels they've lost some some concentration that's it the music the music is, is lost you know they, they hit the wrong note and everybody boos <laughs> get out of it so uh, spontaneity also demands that sort of concentration and that that, that um, uh, giving to the moment, but also that sense of complete looseness where the mind doesn't hold on to something. Well, this takes uh, practice. So if we're looking at virtues, our virtuous life, then it's a case of recognizing that every time there's an opportunity to practice a virtue, then that also is leading us towards this, this beautiful spontaneity, you know, where there's a, a clarity where there's a wisdom that comes so that the action is, uh, is is a response through wisdom not through some murky impulse and and with it with wisdom of course there's a natural happiness comes a natural feeling of fulfillment um, I'm thinking of uh, one incident there in the scriptures where uh, there's a monk who's ill but ill in that sort of very difficult way you know smelly uh, you know the bowels are loose and and, and all uh, and, and he's probably quite nasty and and the monks don't take care of him and when the Buddha hears that this poor man is sort of squirming around in his own <laughs> in his own juice uh, he goes with Ananda uh, to look after him you see and there's no doubt in in the Buddha's mind as to what has to be done and then he turns to uh, the monks and he says who's going to look after you you know you've no mother you've no father you've no uh, you've nobody to help if you don't look after yourselves who's going to look after you so he's, he's sort of saying to them that uh, you know there's, there's a very good reason for tending the sick hmm? but in his mind uh, there was no there was no confusion you know somebody's sick so you go and help and I think that's one of the meanings of compassion where we you know it, in something like compassion we often get confused with grief um, n not only is there uh, a feeling of, of um, uh, should we say, obligation. See, so, I mean, take for instance uh, somebody who has uh, a poorly parent. Uh, now, you've got you've got a situation there where somebody's life might be uh, having to change to look after this poorly parent, and there's a natural um, feeling of not wanting to do it, 
uh, a feeling that, you know, why don't they die quickly and get on with it? <laughs> what, they destroy my life and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and there's a feeling of, um, uh, of compulsiveness, of having to do it, you see. Now, that means that we're, we're feeling a duty being imposed upon us. Now, whenever a duty is imposed upon us, um, we're always trying to shrug it off. We always feel it's unfair, it's unjust, and, you know, why me, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, that sort of um, idea that, that the duties that we have towards other people are an imposition by them upon us turns that compassionate act into something which is, uh, you know, quite horrible for the person. Uh, you know, they're chewed up inside, they don't want to do it really, you know. And it comes out in little angers and, and, and not really taking care and, you know, and, and moving them towards the window hoping they might jump. Things like that. <laughs> Murder. So there's all sorts of, <laughs> I'm fed up. You know, all, all I want is the money. So it's a <laughs> But as soon as you uh, take on the duty as a personal responsibility, the whole, the whole thing changes completely. Right? As soon as you take it on as a personal responsibility, uh, it becomes a source of training, becomes a source of generosity, a source of compassion. And uh, it, it's not anymore a source of personal happiness, a feeling that one's life is being destroyed. Because if you take it on as your personal duty, you see it as your personal training. Hmm? This is your, this is, you're using it for your spiritual benefit. And uh, in that care, I'm thinking of somebody uh, specific, really, who, um, you know, has to look after his mother and himself is quite sick. And uh, it's amazing. I've never, you know, I've, I've known him for years. I've never heard him complain. And he's been, you know, he's been looking after his mother for years now. And um, he seems to, he seems to just have that very natural generosity, um, you know, just, well, this is my mother and I, and I look after her, you know. And there's no, I don't think, never heard him being bitter or backbiting or, or talking about the, you know, pain and all that. <laughs> and he, he seems to be uh, in himself quite, quite happy with the whole situation. And that can only come about because he's taken on that task, that duty as something very personal to him. See? Um, so, in, uh, in, in all these virtues if we see them as a path of training, then we understand that the negativity will arise, but just like, I mean, this is what the Vipassana is for. It makes, us, it makes us sort of more globally aware of what's happening within us. So when we, when we practice a virtue and we can see the negativity come up, then we're not, we're, not, we're not hijacked by it. We actually see it, you see. Even if it's there, and even if, it, I say, it's putting a certain... Uh, nasty feeling into the equation the point is we can distance from it know it's there and not act according to that uh, you know to those suggestions to those negative suggestions and then we put the positive suggestion in our mind and we act from that and at first it feels difficult at first it feels hard um, but eventually as it were uh, the heart's being reconditioned now here when we were talking yesterday about the will, you can see that the will is something separate from emotions, is something separate from thoughts. See? The will is something which empowers. And the practice is leading us to a point of wisdom. 
So every time a situation comes up which, uh, for which we are uh, uncomfortable with, you know, that we don't want, but we're fighting against, struggling against. So, you know, you have to be, you have to be quite clear to yourself that that's the negativity coming from some sort of delusive thought, hmm? from some sort of uh, misunderstanding. And it's allowing that misunderstanding, allowing the emotions that that misunderstanding is, is you know, producing to come up into consciousness and for them to be recognized. As soon as you did that, you're doing Vipassana. You've separated out. You, you see it as, as, as something, some negative conditioning within us. And then, what, sometimes one has to wait for that to, to dissolve a little bit. You know? But even so, even if it's there in a very strong way, you can always bring the right intention to mind and you do it with right intention. Even though, within yourself, you might feel horrible. This is the point. In yourself, you might, you might feel down, you might feel depressed, etc., etc. But there's this intention which you empower and you keep working that way. Now, uh, with the action, with the, with the good intention and with the action, it's bound to begin to develop the right attitude. I mean, the right attitude, you know, has always been there. It's just beginning to, uh, it's just begun to develop. And when you have right attitude, in time, it, it has a systemic effect. So the heart begins to respond. And all those negative feelings about uh, that we have begin to dissolve, and this more positive uh, feeling begins to arise. I mean, I just give you, a, you know, just a personal example. Um, I've never until maybe five or six years ago, ever wanted to teach. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most... I remember when uh, I was sitting on a beach in Al Alicante, down in Spain somewhere, <laughs> with a bottle of Zangria. And I went down to the post office to get this telegram from my father, who said, you know, you've got your BA and your church teacher certificate, and he said, congratulations. And I went and sat on this rock overlooking the sea, in the Mediterranean, isn't it, yeah. And I remember distinctly saying, there is no way I want to teach. That was it. And I, never, and I didn't for about two or three years. But and then, of course, you know, you need money. <laughs> and um, when I came back to Britain, and I realized that I didn't want to go back east again, and that I wanted to stay here, I also realized that there's no way I can exist in a country which doesn't have uh, an infrastructure to support the monastic life, unless you unless you've, um, you've got um, uh, ethnic groups supporting you, you know, like uh, the Thais or the Burmese or something, which I didn't have. Uh, there's, there's no way you can exist uh, as, as a monastic unless you give something to lay people. You know, they won't give you money. <laughs> Westerners don't give you money for nothing. So, <laughs> so I realized that, you know, I had to teach. That was, that was the, I felt it was a bit of a... Um, I think it, was, it was a necessary contract, you know, and, and I took on what's known as the Dhamma Dutta, which is the, um, uh, um, the, the duty of, of teaching the Dharma. So in this country, you'll hear certain monks, or you'll hear in the conversation, especially among Sri Lankans, that they're a Dharma Dutta monk, which means that they're missionaries. That's what it is, you're a missionary. <laughs> Come to a foreign land to convert the heathen. So I, I made that decision, but even so, uh, there was a long, long time I just felt this negativity, you know, which I only shared with uh, close students, uh, that you know, this was something that was really against, against the grain, because I didn't, 
I didn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then, of course, that that negativity sort of builds up, and you think, well, you know, what's happening here? You know, I've got to look at this. See, and so in the this was ninety eight, ninety eight between ninety eight ninety nine, and uh, I went to um, Upandita Center. It's called uh, uh, named after him, of course, Upandita Rama, and. Um, when I was there, I came across, I'm sure you've all heard of that book, A Course in Miracles. Yeah? And uh, I came across a little book. It's really strange because I was struggling with this business of teaching. You think? Uh, I mean, the alternative was to basically return to the East and return to my little hut, you know, which, which you know, t- tended to, gl- to gain a certain glow after <laughs> I, you know, my hut, what happened to my hut. And... Uh, <laughs> And I came across this little book, which is, uh, which is one of these serendipity things, you know, which you can't really explain. And here I am wondering about what to do. And this little book was a collection out of the Course of Miracles on teaching and, and the, the purpose of teaching and that sort of stuff. Now, I can't remember it, but by the end of that book, I was convinced that this was actually a good path to be on. <laughs> so I have the Course of Miracles to thank. And then once, I, once that attitude changed... The negativity didn't go. See, the negativity is still there. See, and even now, occasionally, I'll get this. You know, God, oh, I don't want to do. I don't want to go in there and give a talk. I want to sit in there and go tea. You know, it's just <laughs> see. But it's not. It's no longer that that awful mental states that were coming up for about a year when I I just felt I was wasting. I mean, that's what comes. You see, I'm. A, you know, my inclination is to is to be a recluse. So I'm wasting time. I mean, that's the big thing, you see. I should be in there, you know, knocking my head against the wall. I shouldn't be out here teaching. So that sort of um, negativity, uh, even though, it, you know, it, it comes up occasionally, it actually, you know, it's just it's a sort of a dying conditioning, you might say. And that the more uh, I gave myself to the teaching, especially when I, when I went to Gaia House, the more I gave to it, the more, to my surprise, there came this, this lovely, you know, feeling of, of joy. Do you know what I mean? It just, it just arose. Now, I didn't say to myself, right, I've got to feel joy. You know, when I go in there, I didn't. I just... <laughs> and, and the more I, the more I uh, began to give talks, uh, the more the, they became sort of spontaneous in the sense that, like, even now, I've not prepared it. You just come in and you, and you speak and hope for the best. <laughs> and that's it, you know. Just make sure I've got any bricks. <laughs> so it was that sort of... Uh, uh, you know that sort of passage. Now, I think if you look in your own lives, I'm sure you'll find something which um, gets you down or, or whatever. And it's it's a case of looking at that and accepting the motivation there. You know, looking at that motivation and seeing what is it you're doing to make a job which previously you might have been happy with, you know, suddenly miserable. What is it? You know, what what is it you're doing to make something which could, which you can see quite clearly, could be very beautiful, could be a real growth area for you, um, uh, something that you see as a sort of hell realm. Yeah, and a lot of people do that with their jobs. You know, I mean, at first they they walk in and they they're sort of pretty um, pretty excited by it. You know, most times, you know, and they they're looking forward to it and then they get into it and they like it. And, you know, a few months down the line, a couple of years down the line, it's, oh, I've got to get out of here. You know, <laughs> and it, it takes on a board and it takes on all those sorts of things. And um, it's interesting because even in the most menial tasks, you know, even in the most menial tasks, uh, there's spiritual training. 
even in something so repetitive of being on a production line, can be you know um, can be a, a process whereby you grow in concentration just by putting your mind on exactly the same action. I mean, what are we doing here? We do walking meditation. It's exactly the same thing. You know, we we lifting, moving, lowering, placing, up and down, up and down. We do it for an hour, forty minutes, an hour, four or five times a day. By the end of the week, you've walked hours going up and down, but you've never thought to yourself, well, this is really boring. I should, I should be paid more for this. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. I'm being abused. <laughs> oh, I have to write a nasty letter to Bodhidharma. <laughs> so it's it, even in uh, something sort of so repetitive or so menial, uh, which we all do at some point, just in our household chores. You know, just cleaning the toilet. I mean, that's that's considered a menial task, you know. But to actually uh, bring a joy to it, to actually see it as purposeful, to actually see that it's something that uh, you can you can develop um, a certain care. You know, cleaning the toilet bowl, we can do it with care and attention. You know what I mean? And it's these, like you walk into um, these public toilets, you see, and there's, there's either you know a man or a woman sitting there, and, you know, and sometimes again, I think, I wonder how they, you know, wonder what sort of life it is down here in the in the Jakes, you know, <laughs> sort of living in this subterranean world with the smell of urine. And I think, <laughs> God, you know, this must be a, a hell realm, you know. <laughs> and some of them do give you that impression. I mean, they really are, you know. They they don't want to know, you know. But the other day, I was in uh, where was I? Oh, some station or other. I was in some station. And there was a, a woman at the main kiosk, and she was having the time of her life. <laughs> she was having a chat with people and drawing their attention and shouting out about toilet paper and, and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. And, and she, she was okay. You could feel she was okay, and everybody was okay with it, you know? It was a completely different sort of toilet I've ever been in. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> so I, it's like... As soon as you see every, every situation you're in as something to train in, then, it's, then that sort of joy arises. And with the joy comes the spontaneity. See? So you've got these two lines. You've got both the trying to undermine old attitudes, um, bringing up a good reason for doing things, and that, that by doing that, the heart responds. It's just as simple as that. And uh, we may surprise ourselves occasionally by doing something quite spontaneously, which on reflection we realise has actually come from almost, you know, from pure wisdom, that we've actually done it out of that really good heart, one way or the other. So if we uh, just look at one or two of these well, I, I've not got much time now. Um, one or two of these, uh, that trilogy is interesting. Um, um, well, take, take, I mean, the, the ten perfections are, we haven't got time to go through them all, is, is, is um, giving a morality, um, which you, morality is um, good conduct, slightly better. Uh, renunciation, wisdom itself, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolution, loving-kindness, and equanimity. Um, but just to take patience, for instance. Uh, patience, uh, that patient forbearance, uh, that feels like an imposition. 
you know, like with a with a, a naughty child or with somebody who's messing you about or or that great nuisance, you know, the, the thumping bass beat through the through the wall while he's trying to sit there <laughs> trying to do some reading or meditating with boom, do dum, dum, do dum, you know, <laughs> murderous thoughts arise. And um uh, that patience, that ability to bear with the uncomfortable, to bear with that which one does not want. You see. Now, normally speaking, when something arises that we don't want, you get that negativity, you get the aversion, you get the anger. Um, but to be able to allow that to come, it's always the same process. You allow that negativity to arise. If you push it away, if you bat it away, then it just it just remains there as a conditioning. And the power of your suppression is, in a sense, like a, like pushing a spring down. And that's how these rages happen, you see. People don't realise how much anger they've built up in themselves. And then suddenly they do something which is quite awful. So one actually feels that negativity, you see. And then you have to recognise it, you have to label it as unwholesome. And then, as it were, you, you, you change your attitude. And, and the great phrase for patience is, this is the way it is. As soon as you say, this is the way it should not be, you're, you're, into, you're into conflict. You know, this is how it... It shouldn't be like this. <laughs> Did you ever see that film, Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood? Classic sort of silly <laughs> western. And at the end, of course, he shoots everybody. <laughs> and everybody's dead. And there's... I can't remember the name of the actor. He's very, very good. But his, his dying words are, this shouldn't have happened. <laughs> this shouldn't have happened so, <laughs> it's like I mean that's it isn't it that's, that's where we are it shouldn't be like this. this it should be other you know why am I suffering this all that sort of stuff but as soon as you use start using the phrase start grounding yourself in the present moment as it really is this is the way it is then, then, you, then the patience comes as a sort of acceptance an acceptance of this is the way it is now, when we do that, we sometimes get confused. We think, oh, well, that's some form of resignation. But the distinction between these two is that when, when somebody resigns themselves to something in that sort of bad sense, um, they disempower themselves. You know, this is it. I can't do anything. Uh, you know, I'm miserable. And that's the way life is. It's horrible and wings and all that sort of stuff. And that, of course, is really harmful spiritually because at that point uh, you are... Uh, you're conquered, you're, you're destroyed by what it is you've resigned to. Hmm? But acceptance is a completely different attitude. Acceptance is that, is that beginning with the ground of this is the way it is. And then with that sort of patience, with that, with that ability to accept the way it is, then there arises what can be done. See? When one sees a situation, there's always something can be done. I mean, if it's music, you know, you go for a walk <laughs> or buy a gun or something. <laughs> but there's always, there's always, there's always something can be done to alleviate it. You know, earplugs. There we are. That's, a, that's, a, that's an alleviation. There was a lovely. Uh, I used to know this fellow. He's. Uh, I wonder how he is now. I often wonder about him. He was a big man, uh, strong. You know, toughy. I mean, when you saw him, you didn't want to say the wrong word. And he was the head of the Communist Party. This is before it disbanded. This is going back a while. Eh? And. Um, 
he was with his partner and they had a room right at the top of the house uh, on the flat at the top of the house and these students came in or I'm not sure of the students young young kids came in next door and started playing rock music the practicing you know drums and everything 12 o'clock at night okay so he goes down knocks on the door and they come and he says you know not you know noise mm, this time of night and they say yeah alright alright yeah, and they stop you see um, either next night or a couple of nights on so down he goes again knocks on the door and the guy comes out and says you know you know a bit more angry you know and they say okay okay we'll stop we'll stop so they stop so the third time this music he goes down guy opens the door and he just went whoop right on his nose that was it end of music <laughs> right, sometimes sometimes a hard lesson is needed and I, I, I used to just laugh when I, hear that, when, I, when I heard of that, you know. And um, he was a lovely man, you see. He was very patient. You know, he'd been woken up. He has to get his clothes on. He has to go down, knock on the door. Can you please stop? He goes down the second time, third time. Enough. <laughs> Clunk. And that's the end of that. And they don't play music again. It's like... Now, I'm not suggesting that... Uh, <laughs> but it just... But it's that, it's that um, ability to accept the way things are wherever we are especially of course those times when we when we feel uncomfortable or in or in a, you know in a situation which we find hard to bear just 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 you know just accepting it it's like it's like you it's like you it's like you're accepting the load instead of trying to shrug it off it's like carrying a haversack you know or a rucksack if you're carrying a rucksack and you don't want it in your back it really is painful you know but if but if you accept that you need this rucksack in order to wander over the world, then you're quite happy having this huge weight on your back. You don't complain about it. You know, you carry your house, your washing machine, they're all on the back. <laughs> and you're quite happy carrying this huge weight. It's amazing when you think about it. And campers, you see, they want to go camping. They don't mind carrying these huge weights uh, on their back in order to, to go out and camp in the wilderness. But as soon as somebody says to you, would you carry this for me? You know, you say, oh yeah. And you go, ooh. <laughs> so what? See, and it's so it's 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 that uh, lovely way that we can we can we can train ourselves. This is the point about our spiritual life. We can actually train ourselves to be like this. So this is the way it is. See, and the anger goes as soon as you accept the situation as it is. And then always, at least to my amazement, there's always uh, a way of dealing with the situation. There's always a way of, of alleviating the situation in some way or other. And it's just through that practice uh, of patience that, in a sense, it just becomes part and parcel. Now, I've been here, see, I've been here now for three years, and um, uh, I haven't run a centre before. I mean, you know, this is, this is a new experience for me, running a centre. <laughs> and thank heavens it's small. And people do things which, you know, you know, get up my nose. If people come here and they do things, and I think, what the hell are they... <laughs> Like they go, I just want to and pick the flowers. <laughs> pick the flowers, put them up there, it's very nice. But like, you know, it's always, you know. And, and you get people, you know, putting carpets, you know, you have a carpet way and they come back and it's put over here. And you think, what? You know, like, like why? Why are they doing that? It's, you know, they come to change me. So, and it's, and it's been, you know, and, and having to work with managers, you can you see. I have to <laughs> 
and, and you just get and after a while uh, you see these irritations you know you see these irritations and you keep saying to yourself what am I getting you know why am I getting irritated you know what's the, this is really silly I mean to actually have you know these little burny things going on in me uh, for what are actually silly things anyway and uh, slowly because you see one of the dangers of, of living as an, a, a recluse or living by yourself in a hut or living by yourself in society living in your own flat you know is that you forget how to live with people you know you, it's like um, I mean I, I, I was brought up with um, brothers and sisters so we always share the bedroom you know these days, kids have a, a room of their own. Sharing is like is like a pain, you know. Like it becomes a war. Um, and just to be able to allow these irritations to actually see them for what they are—just silly places where the mind grabs, places where the mind is upadan, is grasping. You see, and then you know you just sort of recognise this is not doing you any good. It's just absolutely silly. And you, you begin to relax, you begin to relax. And you never approach the person in that stage of anger because if you approach that stage of anger, for sure you express it in some way, you know. It might be just the trembling of your hands <laughs> as you're talking, you know. But something will sort of leak out. And, uh, and in that way, unwittingly, you're sort of en engineering this anger. So you, you have to sit with it, you know, wait, wait, wait. And at... Um, and I found, for instance, uh, at the beginning, it would take three days for these little angers to disappear. It would take it for three days. I'd be sat here thinking, this is ridiculous, you know. And, um, and very slowly, just by accepting this is the way it is, it's quite surprising how quickly those old habits begin to be disempowered. And, and just a, you know, a more natural ability just to be with the way it is, to be with people as they are. I mean, I'm very lucky here because most people can be with good intent. You know, I mean, it's not as though they rip the flowers up to ruin the garden. You know, it's like <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded by people with good intent. So, I mean, that makes it much easier, you know. But at work, you might find yourself, you know, with people who have, a, who have their knives out for you. You know, I'm thinking of one person who, phew, uh, terribly bullied, you know. And um, in those sorts of situations, yes, you accept the way things are. You sort of, you know, this is the way it is, but you definitely don't allow that to go on. You find ways of, of undermining that sort of really bad behaviour. But if you, if you don't accept the situation as it is, then either you're deluding yourself, such as, you know, this person really isn't bullying me, you know, and this is the way, this is the way it ought to be, or you're, or you're just getting yourself into huge fits of anger, frustration, and, and a final sort of giving into the situation of, of a sort of resignation, you know. And that's really bad spiritually. Really bad spiritually. Both ways are bad spiritually. So, uh, slowly, you know, by, through this process of seeing where anger arises, see, that's your sign of impatience. That's the sign you, you, there's no patience. Whenever anger or irritation arises, you can say, this is the lack of patience, right? And you're holding on to something, right? Um, if you have children and they do something which is, makes you angry, then you're holding on to something. There's no need for the anger. See? Even with children, there's no actual need for the anger. You might, you might uh, manifest anger, you know, to get your own way. <laughs> but to actually feel it in your heart is not actually necessary. Hmm? That's something we are putting into the situation by saying, this is not the way it should be. 
Yeah? This should be other, you see. This should be, uh, I'm not accepting the situation completely as it is. And with that patience, there always comes a natural wisdom. It, it arises naturally. You're not, you don't have to work at it. And I think the more you find yourself becoming patient, the more this wise response to situations arises spontaneously, arises without having to, uh, you know, work at it so much. And you can take all the other virtues, giving, you see, giving um, our moral life, you know, you find, you find yourself, uh, so we say, uh, over-exaggerating in your speech, you know. It's a form of wrong speech, it's a form of uh, not speaking the truth. And, and just by recognising that, you accept, you accept it, you see, and you come back and... And you correct yourself, you correct, you, you're slightly more clear, you're slightly more careful about what you say. Um, renunciation, you see. Renunciation is, if, you, if you're doing it as a sort of self-hate thing, or for any other reason apart from seeing where your attachment is, there's probably some wrong intention there. The whole point of renunciation is to see the attachment. See? So if you decide to have a look at your eating habits, and you decide to fast or to do without a meal, you're doing it in order to see the habit. Right? You're not doing it for any other reason. If you do it for some other reason, there may be some aversion come into it. Maybe some trying to control come into it. You see? But remember, you can't... If you try to control habits, you're into a battle with them. Okay? What, you, you know, what we're learning here is to allow the feelings to arise, but then always make sure they're not translated into an action. An action of thought, word, or deed. See? But if you're a habit, but if you're in the habit of controlling it, which means you know, like you're pushing away, you're trying to hold it. There's always some negativity there, and that 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 isn't uh, right renunciation. Energy, you see. Uh, here we're learning how to be calm. There's no need to you know get over energetic in things to uh, to put your energy in things which are. Um, you know, we should sort of pump up the energy. Uh, what, we, what we're learning here is that if you do things calmly, uh, the energy necessary for a particular task arises naturally. You don't have to go over the top with it. And then there's uh, patience. We've had truthfulness, uh, which we've talked a little bit about, especially in terms of, um, you know, exaggeration. Resolution, you see. Um, every day uh, we have that moment after chanting to make a resolution. Um, if it's done with a good heart, if it's done with real resolve, you'd be surprised it does work its way through. You know, it does actually come through. Um, eventually. Of course, every time, what, what, if, if you're resolving not to do something because it's negative, every time that negativity comes up, you have to bring that resolution to mind. Even if you indulge. So you say to yourself, you know, I, I will not drink any more coffee. Right? And you're walking down the street and Costa Coffee grabs your nose. So then you think, ah, and then you hear yourself, I will not drink, and then you go, and you're drinking coffee, see? Then you say to yourself, okay, I drank coffee, <laughs> see? And you have to say, ah, see? And you drink your coffee, and you say, then you make a resolution, next time, no, see? <laughs> and eventually, to your surprise, Costa Coffee will come, grab your nose, but the body will keep moving past, you see? <laughs> it, won't, it won't have that huge effect on you. 
loving kindness, you see, it's um, a case of that. I mean, they translate metta as loving kindness, which is all right. It's, it's, it's more the heart side. But it's goodwill, you know, it's, it's that goodwill. And um, just having that as a, as a basic attitude to all beings, you know, wishing them well. And in the morning, just to practice that after your vipassana. So remember, the vipassana has to be brought into an attitude. Vipassana is about understanding and wisdom. You have to translate it into an attitude. And that's why the metta practice after vipassana as a daily practice is absolutely necessary. See, Otherwise, you, you, you can become too detached, too disinterested. And that's what draws you back into relationship. Huh? So make sure that you always do a little even if it's only a few lines, just to bring you into an attitude. And then as you get up, you take with you into your daily life the wisdom and the loving kindness that you've just been practicing. See? It's a, it's a substrate. And then finally, equanimity. And I, I think I've said before, this is the, you know, the, the greatest of all virtues because it, it subsists them all. It keeps, it keeps them all balanced, that equanimity. You see? So that we can practice. And we lose equanimity when we get too excited. Every, every time we, we fall into a, uh, an unwholesome state, we've lost equanimity, basically. Right? Equanimity is that calmness of the heart, steadiness of attention, and uh, coming from the place of, of, uh, of wisdom. That, that's what brings about uh, equanimity. So there we have it, you see, uh, we find ourselves doing things impulsively, um, things that we often sometimes regret, things that make us feel embarrassed afterwards. Uh, and what we have to do is recognize that, you know, and then we make that resolution and we remind ourselves and then come the next time, hopefully we've got that, that clear, uh, calm awareness carrying around, you know, carrying all day long this sort of just relaxing into the present moment and we see that old impulse come and we've got just that enough space, you know, to say no in the sense of not doing it and then to allow that impulse to arise and to slowly pass away and then for the right intention to arise, see? And then very slowly you get this, this movement, see? And... Uh, we can surprise ourselves every so often with a, a spontaneous act which is coming from the heart of wisdom. So I can only hope my words have been of some assistance that your life will become fully happy and spontaneous <laughs> leading you towards final liberation sooner rather than later. Sadhu, Sadhu.